Luke chapter 19, if you have access to the Bible on your phone, feel free to pull that out. I know I told you last week that we were going to start a new series this morning looking at the seven churches of Revelation, but as I was going through the week, I just felt like God was leading me a a different direction. I want us to look at a couple of the stories that our kids are going to look at in Vacation Bible School. We know that as kids and as adults, it's so important to sing theologically rich songs like we've, we've been singing this morning, the way it shapes us, the way it prepares us for worship, the way it shapes our understanding of God's word. I want to give you an example really quickly of one of those songs that we value that's theologically rich and that's so important for shaping our, our faith. Listen to this really quickly here. You can join in at any point if you would like to. So, Very good. Okay, that's enough. We'll stop right there. So if you've uh, maybe been a part of Sunday school or uh, vacation Bible school or a kids club growing up, there's a chance you may have heard that song about Zacchaeus. This morning, I want us to think about Zacchaeus. What does that story that our kids are going to be learning in Vacation Bible School that many of us have maybe heard before, what does that story teach us about what it means to be a church, about what it means to be those who have, uh, are following after Jesus, uh, like Isaac showed us this morning, what it means to be saved and then to, to follow after Christ? What does that look like? And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19 this morning, verses 1 through 10. If you have a copy of the Bible in front of you, we're going to read these verses. If not, uh, you can look up on the screen and we'll have, we'll have the words for you there as well. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, speaking of Jesus here. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, it's so important this morning as we hear a phrase about Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost, that that picture of salvation that we see through baptism, that picture of salvation that we see through Zacchaeus, That's the same thing that every one of us needs. God, that our hope and life is found in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that for those who are here 
who knows some about Jesus but have never done what Isaac did and confessed Jesus as Lord, God, that they would do that today. For those who are following after Christ, God, that you would use the story about Zacchaeus to open our eyes, to remind us what that looks like and how we do that as a church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you received a copy of the, the bulletin or the worship guide as you, as you came in, if you turn it over to the back, there's a place that you can write in some notes uh, about the Zacchaeus story. If there's anything there that stands out to you, you want to write in some, some notes. And then at the bottom, when we get toward the end of the sermon, I've got some points there about what it looks like to live out this passage. Now there's a phrase there uh, on your notes on the back of the bulletin that talks about how the sermon teaches us how to be a seeker-friendly church. If you haven't spent much time in church, uh, we want this to be a place that you can come and learn about the Bible and be able to be open and not be embarrassed by any of that. But that phrase, seeker-friendly, is going to feel pretty straightforward to you. If you've spent some time in church and you hear the phrase, a seeker-friendly church, Either it'll make you roll your eyes, or you might want to stampede out the back of the building, or throw something at the pastor, because it brings up all these ideas about ways churches have tried to change the way they do things in order to make it more palatable or easy to access for someone who isn't a church person, and there's all this loaded baggage in with this phrase called being seeker-friendly or seeker-sensitive. I want us to use it this morning to ground us in this story about Zacchaeus. What is this little kid's story that we think of as a little kid's story? What does it teach us about this phrase, seeker-friendly? Because at the heart of it is a good, theologically rich idea that we need to embrace as as a church family. So we're just going to walk through the story a verse at a time. The verses will be on the screen. Feel free to take notes, and we're just going to piece this story together, and then we'll come around at the end and and kind of put a bow on it. Verse 1, Luke 19. It says that Jesus entered Jericho... And was passing through. The reference there to Jericho is Luke's way. Luke is writing this gospel. He's been writing this whole book to teach us about Jesus' ministry and the way that that's preparing for the church. The reference to Jericho here is Luke's way of telling us that Jesus is getting very close to Jerusalem at this point. This journey to Jerusalem in many ways started in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is, in a sense, the hinge for this book. It's where everything, it says in Luke 9 that Jesus set his face to go toward Jerusalem. So everything from that point on has been pushing this way. And so when Luke is making references to Jericho, it's his way of telling us Jesus is getting very close to the place where he's going to fulfill what he said he came to fulfill. He's going to reveal his identity. He's going to show what he's all about. And so it's prepping us to say, you're getting very close to the end of the story. You're getting very close to where the story has been pointing. Then you get down in the next part, in the beginning of verse 2, and it says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. Well, unfortunately, you don't get that phrase in there. but uh, It says, He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, tax collector in this context was someone who, when they collected taxes for the government, when they were sent out to do this, 
oftentimes they would take a little bit more than they needed to or a little bit more than they were even told to or should have. And so they would become wealthy by preying on other people, by, by taking a little bit more from people than they needed to or should have. And so tax collectors were looked down on. They were often pushed to the side of society because they were seen as greedy business people who were just out for themselves. And so we're told here from the very beginning that Zacchaeus is a tax collector, meaning he would have been seen as a sinner, someone far from God, and he would have been seen as someone that you did not associate with, that he did his business his way and you stayed out of his way. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, in contemporary modern day church, sometimes business people are treated in that same way. A lot of times business people have had trouble connecting with church because it seems like what they do Monday through Saturday doesn't match up well with what we're talking about on Sunday and it's been a a little bit of a tenuous relationship there but I think you'll see the way this story unfolds how Jesus wants to refer to Zacchaeus but he calls him a tax collector and then it says that he's rich. At this point let me give you a simple Bible reading 101 hint. To understand particular sections in Scripture, one of the most important things you need to do is read the sections that have come before. The reason we usually don't do sermons by just picking a passage out of the middle of a book is because you haven't worked up to that passage, you haven't seen what's come before. And to understand the cool thing that Luke is doing here with Zacchaeus' story, you have to know what came before this. So in your phone, if you'll scroll up just a little bit, or in your Bible, if you'll turn back to Luke chapter 18, so in your Bible, you probably flip back one page or maybe scroll up just a little bit in your, in your phone. But if you look in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18, Luke 18, verse 18, there's a story. And if your Bible or your phone has those subheadings that tell you what the next section is going to be about, there's a good chance that it will say the rich ruler or the rich young ruler. And Jesus lays out this story where he talks with this rich young man about what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. And this man says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists off a bunch of commands. And this man says, I've done those things. And then Jesus says, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And we find out that this man stumbles over what Jesus said. He's not able to do that. He's not able to handle that. And he goes away sad. And then we're told at the end of that story, that what verse is it that we have up there verse 24 and verse 25 how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God so remember that those who are experiencing Luke's gospel who are hearing this or reading scripture for the first time they've just read about a rich person who wasn't able to to handle, wasn't able to receive what it meant to follow after Jesus, and they've already been told that it's impossible, virtually impossible, for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. Then what do you get? You get the story of Zacchaeus, who we are told is a tax collector and a rich person. Luke has prepared us perfectly for understanding how Zacchaeus' story is going to compare to the rich run ruler. Then go back to chapter 19. If you go back to chapter 19, back to Zacchaeus' story. So you have a comparison between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler in chapter 18. Then in chapter 19, verse 3, 
we learn about Zacchaeus that he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. As many of you call it, he was vertically challenged. Uh, And so some of you suffer, you live in this world of what it looks like, of always looking up at people and trying to see over everybody in in front of you. When we lived in, in New Orleans, one of the things our family loved to do, and I'll have to explain this so that you don't kick me out of the church, but one of the things our family loved to do was to go to the Mardi Gras parades. Now, there are places that you don't go. There are times you don't go to the Mardi Gras parades, but we loved New Orleans, and we had, there were some really family-friendly parades. We loved to go there, and you found out, though, that you had to get your kids up higher so they would get all of the really good throws, and so in New Orleans, they build these ladders where you put a seat up on top of the ladder and you put your kid up there and they hold up signs and they get all of the really good throws and beads off the, uh, off the flutes. But you have to be careful because some of these beads are huge and you put your kid up there and the people on the floats are chunking these beads at your kids and so you're, you're playing defense to protect your kids uh, from getting hit by all the things coming off the, off the floats. But the idea is if a little kid was back there they wouldn't be able to see so you have to get them up higher so they're able to see we're told at this point that Zacchaeus is small in stature he's not able to see because the crowd is in his way and you say well what what's the big deal there two things are going on there the first is the fact that he's small in stature and not able to see is another way that Luke gives us to tell us that he's an outsider that he's outside of the group, he's not given preference. Nobody says, hey Zacchaeus, come to the front so you can see. You know, if you were the kid who was always in the front in school pictures or sports pictures, you always got pushed to the front because you were smaller. Zacchaeus doesn't get that. He gets pushed to the back. He's an outsider. But here's the other thing. Go back to chapter 18 again. Here's the other thing that Luke is doing. Chapter 18, and this is immediately before the end of the chapter. Chapter 18, verse 35. So you probably don't even have to go back in your Bible a page, or or maybe not very much if you do. But in chapter 18, verse 35, we learn that as Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And then if you get down there in verse 39, it talks about those who were in front, rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of, uh, son of David, have mercy on me. So you see what Luke is doing here in the gospel. This is fascinating. He has just given us a story of a blind beggar who was not able to get to Jesus because a crowd is blocking him. Then he follows it immediately in chapter 19 with the story of a wealthy tax collector who also can't get to Jesus because a crowd is blocking him. So Luke could not be any clearer here that your wealth, your financial standing, your social standing, that is not going to get you any closer to Jesus. The poor beggar, And the rich tax collector both can't get to Jesus because they're outsiders, because they're kept back by the crowd. So what does Zacchaeus do to overcome this? Well, you go back to chapter 19, and you see in verse 4 it says, So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, 
for he was about to pass that way. Okay, on the screen, I've got a picture for you, I think, of a sycamore tree from, from this area. All right, kids, you guys have done a great job listening. So everybody, fifth grade, sixth grade and below, how many of you like to climb trees? Any tree climbers? So most of the adults would probably agree with you or they like to climb trees as well. In all of the world, kids, in all of the world, there is probably not a better tree climbing tree than the sycamore trees that grew in this area. They had these trunks that were misshapen so you could get handholds and footholds and then they had tons of these thick, low branches that would go out to the side. This is every kid's dream, is to have a tree like this to climb up. And these trees were pretty common along the way. And we know from the story that Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. The question is, why? Why is Zacchaeus seeking after Jesus? Well, remember what we know about Zacchaeus. He's wealthy, and he's small. He's an outsider. What we almost know for sure about Zacchaeus is he should be fulfilled in life because of his wealth. He's been a successful businessman. He's had what would seem to be a successful life for himself, but he's an outsider. He's cut out from the group, he's cut out from the religious crowd, and he's cut out from the only one who can fulfill him, the only one who can save him. And there's a good chance that there's someone sitting here this morning or a lot of someone sitting here this morning, where you've been successful in life, you might have been pretty good at business, you might have been pretty good at your job, you might have been pretty good in school or sports, and you reach the end of that and you find that that does not bring fulfillment, that that does not give the life that it promises to give, and you still find yourself cut off from salvation, you still find yourself cut off from life, that's Zacchaeus' situation. He has been successful, so to speak, but he's still an outsider, and so he's seeking after something that he was never able to find in personal success. And if that's you, the story of Zacchaeus is for you, to know that there is hope, there is salvation, you're not gonna find that in the success of this world, you're only gonna find that through Jesus. So watch what Jesus does in verse five. Verse five, it says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Honest question, if you're reading the Bible for the first time here, would be how does he know Zacchaeus' name? Couple of options. One, Zacchaeus may have had a reputation that preceded him. They may have told him, hey Jesus, you're about to go into Jericho, watch out for this scoundrel who's a tax collector and he's probably gonna pickpocket you. Just, you know, so he may have heard about Zacchaeus or we find out in scripture, especially you see this in the book of John where Jesus calls out a man named Nathaniel without knowing him ahead of time. You get this idea that Jesus, because he's God, has this knowledge where he's able to speak into people's lives. But the point here, the point is that he calls Zacchaeus by name. He calls Zacchaeus by name. That this person, remember, who is an outsider, who is cut off from the group, who's not included, Jesus addresses him by name. Jesus doesn't treat us as a project. Jesus doesn't treat us as a number. Jesus treats us by our name. He treats us personally. And that's a key part to understanding how this relationship develops between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And so what does he tell him? He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. There's a sense of urgency 
that matches what Luke has told us in the story already that Jesus is getting close to Jerusalem. He's getting close to the point where he's going to do what he said he came to do. And so he's saying, today is the day of salvation. Do not hesitate. Now is your chance to respond. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. It's not that Jesus forgot to make reservations ahead of time and he pulled out his phone and went to hotels tonight and there were no good options and so he didn't know what to do. It's not that. When it says, I must stay at your house, he's saying, I must in the sense of this is my mission. Staying at your house is the way I fulfill my mission. I have to do this. Why? We find out in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When Jesus says here in this verse, I must stay at your house, he's saying I must because this is why I exist. This is why I've come. I'm carrying out my mission by interacting with you, by coming to your house. So then in verse 6, Zacchaeus hurried down in true kid fashion. He may have just jumped, (laughs) didn't even worry about climbing down, just jumped off the branch. You get the feeling he wants to do this. He hurried down and came and received him joyfully. That word joyfully, if you like to underline or highlight in your Bible, that is a key Luke word for his gospel. Back at the beginning of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 2 verse 10, it talks about at Jesus' birth that there was going to be this rejoicing, this great joy that had come to all the people because Jesus had come. And so all throughout Luke's gospel, when people respond to him, and you see this in the book of Acts as well, there's a response of joy when they respond. Zacchaeus responds with joy. He responds with this faith and this obedience. Guys, did I put in the Matthew verse at that point, or did I leave it for the end? Okay, I must have left it for the, for the end. We'll come back around. I want to pick back up on that idea of, of Zacchaeus' joy at some point. But then look in verse 7 at what happens. Verse 7 When they saw this, when they saw it, they all grumbled. They being the crowd, the religious crowd that's gathered around to see Jesus, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, no surprise to any of us, including myself, I'll point the fingers at myself first, religious people have a propensity to grumble. Uh, So they fulfill their role in the story here. The tax collector is pushed to the side. The Savior comes and seeks out Zacchaeus, and the religious people grumble. Cows moo, dogs bark, religious people grumble. It just kind of follows throughout Scripture that you see this happening. It goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 16. God has just brought the people out of Egypt. He's brought them across the sea. He's delivered them from slavery under Pharaoh Exodus chapter 16, verse 7. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And you see this over and over again with the people of Israel. More close to what we see in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They could not overcome this idea that Jesus would associate with sinners, with those who were on the outside, with those who weren't part of the religious group. 
they had confused, and we're going to come back around to this at the end, but they had confused holiness with isolation. They thought that being holy meant that they were isolated, they, they were cut off from everyone else. Holiness, holiness for Jesus is being light in the darkness, not light under the bowl. And that's coming, kind of picking up on a Matthew chapter five, Sermon on the Mount. Holiness for Jesus is being light in the darkness, not light under the bowl. Meaning, if there is this light that is shining through you, the way you engage is you engage in the darkest places. And so Jesus says, I don't care about my reputation. I have to be. Remember what he said earlier, I must stay at your house today. This is who I am. This is why I exist. This is what I want to teach you. So after the religious leaders grumble, what happens next? Verse eight, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. We don't know. It's kind of like Luke chapter 24. We don't know exactly what Jesus and Zacchaeus talk about at this meal. But over and over again in scriptures, you find that when people eat with Jesus, their eyes are open and they begin to understand him in a way that they didn't understand him before. And so what you find here in this verse with Zacchaeus is he addresses Jesus in a very particular way. At the beginning of verse eight, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give. He's referring to him as Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. This confession of Jesus being Lord of his life then shows us that Zacchaeus' heart has changed. No longer will his business be a part, will be Lord of his life. No longer will money be Lord of his life. No longer will be his social outcast status dominate him. He is referring, he's saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Now there's an important thing that happens in the next verse, and, and I wanna make sure there's not confusion at this point. So Zacchaeus is saying, Lord, I'm gonna redress you as Lord. You are in control of my life. I'm gonna respond to you by giving of myself, giving to my possessions. And Jesus says in verse nine, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Here's the distinction I wanna be really clear about. Verse eight, Zacchaeus talks about giving all of these possessions to the poor. Verse nine, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. If we're not careful here, it can look like the reason Zacchaeus was saved was because he gave a lot of money to the poor. Do you see where the, you see where the confusion could come in there? He gives a lot of money, Jesus says in verse nine, today salvation has come. But we know that that's not the reason he's saved. The reason he's saved is because he confesses Jesus as Lord. It says here that he becomes a son of Abraham. Look at a couple of verses that help us understand the distinction here. In Galatians chapter, uh, chapter three, verse seven. Galatians chapter three, verse seven. It says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So when Jesus tells Zacchaeus that he's become a son of Abraham, he's not saying you've done a bunch of good things and now you're okay with God. He's saying you've trusted me. You've put your faith in me and that makes you a son of Abraham. And then in the book of James, in James chapter two, it reminds us that faith apart from works is dead. 
Sometimes people will try to say that the book of Galatians and the book of James are in competition with one another. Not the fact at all. It, they're two sides of the same coin. How are you saved? You are saved through faith. What are you saved for? To live out your faith for the good of others. We're saved for good works, not by good works. Kids, make sure you make that distinction as clear as possible. We are saved for good works, to live out our faith for the good of others. We're not saved by those works, and we're always battling against that. Ephesians chapter 2, it gives us this probably the clearest place in all of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Crystal clear, salvation comes through faith. This is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But then the very next verse, verse 10, says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Zacchaeus trusts in the Lord, he puts in faith in him, he calls out to him as Lord, and then he says, and I'm gonna follow through with this, I'm putting my faith into action. So then you get to verse 10 of Zacchaeus' story, and Jesus is able to bring this statement here as a conclusion, as a summary statement. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That this summarizes that this is who Jesus is. This is what he has come for. So you end up with a funny story here with Zacchaeus. You have a story of Zacchaeus seeking Jesus who is seeking Zacchaeus. <laughs> They're both seeking one another in different ways. Are we supposed to be a seeker-friendly church? Well, of course, we, we have to. We have no choice based on this Zacchaeus story. People are seeking after Jesus, but equally true, Jesus is seeking after them. And we get in that a picture of how God works in people's lives, of how God works through a church, of how God wants to use us to impact those who are in most need of the gospel. So how do we do this? How do we live this out? On the bottom of that bulletin, on the bottom uh, back of your bulletin, I wanna walk through just a couple of quick ideas about how we can live this out in our lives, what this looks like in, in our church. Number one, we need to learn from Zacchaeus. We learn from Zacchaeus what it looks like to seek Jesus for hope and fulfillment and salvation when we're at the end of our rope when we realize that all the things of this world can never bring fulfillment, can never bring salvation, that Jesus is the one who ultimately is able to bring this. Zacchaeus is seeking this out, but he's seeking it out in a very particular way. He's very honest, and you can tell he's very humbled by his sins at this point. He's very honest about his sins, and he's very humbled by his sins. A church and once again, I want to turn all the fingers around and point them at me. But a church in which people try to hide their sin or pretend that they don't struggle with anything is a church where no hurting person will ever feel safe. But a church in which we are continually humbled by our sins and continually honest about our sins will be the safest place for a hurting and broken person to come. To say, you know what? I've come to the end of my rope. I'm seeking after something. I want to know what Jesus is all about. Am I gonna be safe there? 
Are you going to listen to me? Are you going to provide me with something other than judgment? Do you find salvation? And so we're always learning from Zacchaeus in this way. The other thing we learn from Zacchaeus is what it looks like to respond to Jesus in faith, joy, and obedience. One of my favorite verses about this comes from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a story in verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Notice that phrase there, in joy, he goes and sells. Remember the rich young ruler from Luke chapter 18? He couldn't do this, and it says he went away from Jesus sad. Zacchaeus, he's in the tree, and what does he do? He hurries down and he receives Jesus, how? Joyfully. When we find that Jesus is the one who provides salvation, that only he is able to do that, then with joy we will give up everything else. It won't feel like sacrifice because we've realized that only he is able to provide that fulfillment and that salvation. Zacchaeus, and I want to play on a couple of words here, but Zacchaeus receive Jesus into his home, not into his heart. So let me, let me unpack that for a second. In church world, sometimes we'll talk about salvation and we'll say, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Now, we use that language with little kids, but we realize that is kind of strange language when you start to think about that. What does it mean to accept Jesus into your heart? Sometimes we'll say, you know, raise your hand and repeat this prayer after me and accept Jesus. It feels very abstract. Notice that we don't find anything about Zacchaeus accepting Jesus into his heart, but we do find that Zacchaeus accepts Jesus into his home. And that's a lot more difficult because then Jesus sees what's going on. And then Jesus sees that you didn't do laundry yesterday. And then Jesus say, sees that you didn't wash the dishes. And then Jesus sees your bank account. And then you start to see what it really means for Jesus to be Lord is that we accept him into our house, not just into our heart. That we say, Jesus, I want to respond to you in faith and joy and obedience. I want to give all that I am for you. So the first thing is we want to learn from, Jesus, or learn from Zacchaeus. Number two on your notes is with everything in us, we want to refuse to be the crowd. We want to refuse the crowd here. I wonder, I don't, there's nothing in the verses to say this for sure, but I wonder if the crowd is in some way relieved that Jesus didn't ask to go to their home. They wanted to see Jesus, they wanted to get close to him, they wanted to be kind of close to the action, but you get the feeling they probably breathed a sigh of relief that Jesus didn't ask to come to their home or to say, I must come to your home today. We also learn from the crowd that we should never count someone outside of God's power. Never count someone. Never say that person is too sinful, too wealthy, too small, too insignificant. We never count someone outside of the power of God. Because there are many of you here who say if someone would have seen me at 18 or 25 or even 40, they would have counted me outside of God's power. They would have said, that person is hopeless, they're lost in their sin, there's no way that they would ever seek after the Lord. 
and we never want to count anyone outside of that. I was back home a couple of months ago and uh, was with my kids, and we were out at, at a local uh, establishment there in southwest Oklahoma, and a guy walks up to me who was a year older than me in high school, and this was the guy who we counted outside of the power of God. <laughs> he was so hard of a partier and so far gone and so wrapped up in sin that you didn't even think about him ever having anything to do with the Lord. And so he walks up to me, and I'm like, oh my word, what's he gonna talk about? And he says, oh, Owen, so good to see you. He said, I'm, I'm the children's minister now at this church down the road. Ooh, mind blown, oh my word. <laughs> like, are you sure? Like, did they do a background check? Did they, did they make sure that this was a good idea? And he was like, no, 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 you don't understand. God has radically transformed my life. He's softened my heart. He's given me a heart for the lost. He's given me an opportunity to minister in the church. And it was a wake-up call for me to say, Owen, don't ever count anyone outside the power of God. That God does work in people's lives, often in the most likely people's lives, that go far beyond anything we could ever imagine, often anything we could ever ask. So we have to be careful with the crowd. The other thing with the crowd here we have to remember, and I wrote this out as a full statement just to try to make sure it came out across clearly. We need to recognize that many people want and need to get closer to Jesus, but they aren't able because of the religious crowd wanting to be closer to Jesus. All right, this idea here that sometimes, often not on purpose, often unknowingly, but we become that religious crowd keeping people from getting to Jesus who most want to see Jesus. Now that works itself out in a hundred different ways and we have to be careful with that and you can take that places that it doesn't need to go. But I just always want to think in my mind, and I've been thinking all week with the Zacchaeus story, how am I that crowd? Do I sometimes stand in the way, so to speak, not theologically, but, but speaking practically here, knowing that the Lord is able to overcome our stupidity all the time, but are there times that I'm that religious crowd standing in the way of someone seeking after the Lord? And then we have to broaden that picture and it becomes even more difficult and more awkward. And we have to say as a church family, are we ever that religious crowd standing in the way of people who are outcast, who are on the outside, who are steeped in sin, but man, they're looking for hope and they're looking for salvation and they're looking for fulfillment and we have our backs turned to them and we're crowding up against Jesus, keeping them from getting there. I don't want to work that out in any practical way that, that puts us in a strange place other than to say, let's just make a commitment as a church family not to do that, not to be that, because we want people to know who Jesus is. And then finally, we've already talked about this, so we're gonna go past it pretty quickly. We need to be careful not to confuse holiness with isolation. Isolation is this feeling of superiority and pride. I'm holy, therefore I don't have anything to do with those people over there. We have to be careful anytime the phrase those people over there comes out of our mouths because usually behind that is some sort of pride or superiority. Holiness, light in the darkness, not light under the bowl. Okay, let's wrap up with this last part. Number three, so we learn from Zacchaeus, we refuse to be the crowd, and then number three, we're going to proclaim and display Jesus. We're gonna see who Jesus is and how he acts and we wanna follow after that. We know from, from Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We equally know that none of us can truly save anyone. But what we do find in that verse is the power of Christ working through us 
to seek after those who are in most need of the gospel, who are in most need of that good news. How do you do this? There are three simple ways on your notes. How do we do this? How do we seek and save the lost in such a way that we realize we're not Jesus? The first thing is to speak to people. Speak to people. Not about people. Speak to people. And this idea here that Jesus treats Zacchaeus by name, not as a number, not as a project, one of the things that will turn off someone to the Lord faster than almost anything else is that they feel like they're our project. <laughs> we never want someone to feel like they're our project. They matter because they're a person created in the image of God, and so we, we treat them as a person. And as much as possible, we call them by name. Now, that's easier said than done because that means that you remembered their name. I, I so wish this story was that Jesus walked up to the tree and said, Hey, dude, come on down. I can't remember your name. Your face looks familiar. I've seen you somewhere around, but I just can't. If you'd had your name tag on, I would have known your name. But hey, dude, come down. Or man, or you send your spouse to go learn the person's name because you've talked to them 10 times and you can't remember their name. And so you have to send in a covert op to go and figure out what their name is. We want to speak to people because we treat them as people not as numbers or as projects, and we learned that from Jesus. Jesus was the master at this. Number two, go on their turf when possible. There, there are times that this would be wrong and, and sinful, but if at all possible, go on their turf. Practice hospitality, but more than that, be willing to be the guest. Uh, it strikes me about this story is that Jesus doesn't invite Zacchaeus to his house. He goes to Zacchaeus' house. He goes to where that person is and says, I'll meet you right where you are. In church world, we always want to be careful about telling somebody, hey, if you want to know about Jesus, come to us, as in come to this building, versus going on their turf the way that Jesus did and saying, you know what, you may not feel comfortable in this building, but by God, we're going to find some way to get to you where you are with this hope, with this message. Number three, last thing here at the very bottom of the notes. More than anything, we're going to appoint to a new life and a new future in Christ. The reason that the phrase seeker-friendly has gotten such a bad rap in church is because what has happened at times is churches and a desire to welcome in people who normally wouldn't feel comfortable in church have removed a lot of the elements about Jesus or scripture or theology. And not on purpose, but what has happened in those situations is you've accepted someone in, but you remove the answer. You invited someone over for dinner and then you didn't offer any food. As a seeker-friendly church, if you're going to be open, if we're going to be open to people who maybe wouldn't normally feel comfortable in church, when they get here, we have to have something to offer them. And what we have to offer them is the hope of Jesus Christ. To invite someone in to be seeker-friendly and then not to speak about the good news of Jesus is the most hateful thing we could ever do, the most unloving thing we can ever do. And so I pray, I pray that God would make Emmaus this church family, our families, us as individuals, I pray that God would make us the safest, most accepting place for someone to come who is lost and in need of hope, and equally so, I pray that we would be ready to proclaim the hope of Jesus on every moment.
We learn from Zacchaeus, we refuse to be the crowd, and we commit to being a group of people who will proclaim and display Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the celebration this morning of music, of baptism, of prayer, of Bible study. God, as we come to the end of the service, I pray that you would help us to reflect on our lives, reflect on our church family. We think about this story of Zacchaeus as being a little kid's story and something that our kids will learn at Vacation Bible School, but as adults, God, we need to hear this story. And Father, I pray that if there are people here who feel like they are too far away from you to ever be forgiven, to ever be accepted, that they would see the story of Zacchaeus, God, and that you would give them hope, that they would confess Jesus as Lord, that they would put their faith in him, and they would find their lives transformed. And for those who are already seeking after the Lord, God, that you would teach us more of what that looks like. Help us not to be the religious crowd grumbling and standing in the way, but God, help us to follow after Jesus, to seek and to save the lost, to proclaim and display Jesus to the world around us. Father, as we sing this closing song, help us to be honest before you and to respond in faith and obedience as you lead us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.